Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the show brought to you in partnership with Arlington Economic Development, where we discuss issues related to the workforce, the role of place in the future of work, and more. We call this Return on Creativity. Today, we're going to talk about agile career growth or understanding when you need to learn new things to adapt and also when it might be time to change direction, directions in your professional life. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Laura Briggs, uh, author, freelance coach, podcast host, and marketing expert. Uh, welcome to the show, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about this concept of, of agile career growth. Uh, you know, with, with the rapid pace of whether it's growth of technology or just new disciplines to understand, new terms to understand, new concepts to incorporate, this, this seems to be accelerating. And you know, how do you make a decision of what to take the time to learn and you know, with so much out there? Yeah, there's not going to be any shortage of things that are out there. And it's probably the case that the pace is going to speed up of how frequently you have to revisit your own skill set and evaluate whether it's time to learn something new or pivot into something different. Um, so I always start by looking for clues. What am I hearing a lot about? What am I seeing an increased demand for? Uh, what piques my interest as far as something that could be cool to learn? That's usually the starting point or the thread you can kind of begin to go down. And one of the things that's neat about this is that you do not have to commit to it 100%. You do not have to say, all right, I'm learning this completely new thing and I'm going to abandon everything I've done up until this point, whether it's for your job or you're working for yourself. I think there's the opportunity to learn a lot of things and also give yourself the permission to kind of throw some things away. So the clues that I look for as far as it's time to begin that research process. I'm bored with what I'm doing. It's getting more and more automated. You know, AI can do some of what I've been doing as a service. Um, I just don't love doing it anymore. It's not in demand as much. There's lots of clues that you can start to pick up from the marketplace and kind of keep your ear to the ground and then use that as your starting point to do some of that research. So by the same token, it's when, when do you know how to uh, stop doing something or, or maybe, you know, there's this, uh, there's all these, like a cognitive bias is like that, that sunken costs. I forget mm -hmm. the exact term, but it's like, you know, I've put so much time and so much effort and maybe even put some of my uh, personal brand behind this, but it's just not generating returns or to what you said earlier, there's mm -hmm. machines can do it now or and machines can do 30% of it. So, right. you know, how do you, what criteria do you use to, to, you know, make the change, make the decision to pivot a little bit, whether it's completely or partially? I think you start by establishing what an experiment would look like. So oftentimes our perception of what something could be and the reality of it may be very different. So you want to do research on your own. And a lot of times people think, okay, well, that's listening to podcasts, that's reading books. 
one of the more powerful things you can do in addition to those forms of research is talk to someone who is actually doing that thing already. Find someone who is offering it, grab 20 minutes of their time, ask them, what does the day-to-day look like for you? This is my perception of what I think pivoting into this partially or fully might look like. You can save yourself a lot of headaches by knowing those things up front. It either will validate what you expect and then you come into it knowing more of the pros and cons or there may be something you have not realized at all about that aspect. So, I mean, I have an example of this. I thought significantly about becoming, you know, a full-time public speaker a couple of years ago, did a lot of research. You know, there's lots of courses that sell this and tell you how to write your keynote and, you know, sell these big promises. It wasn't until I had an actual conversation with a woman who does this full-time and makes substantial money doing it where she said, you know, one of her first comments was, are you prepared to spend 200 nights a year in a hotel room? And instantly in that moment, I was like, oh yeah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. There's some pros to it, but the con is a really big con for me. That's not something I'd want to do. So I think that's part of it. And then define what your experiment would look like. I do this every time I add in a new freelance service. I will offer it at a pilot rate for a specific period of time. Like, you know, I, when I learned Amazon ads and doing that for authors, I said, I will run your Amazon ads for two months and then I'll reevaluate if I want to offer this service at all to other authors. And that gave me an out from day one. If I liked it and it went well, I could continue. But I also had a specific time period where I was deciding not just was this working, but did I even like doing it? Had I priced myself appropriately? Is there enough demand that I thought there was going to be when I came in with it? So define an experiment where you give yourself that opportunity to back out. You know, what do you what do you tell people? Because you do coaching and Mm -hmm. and consulting. And what do you tell people that say "Uh, that sounds like quitting? You know, what's because I mean, it's a very real thing. You know, nobody, nobody wants to be a quitter. Or mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, aspires to be that. You know, what's what's the what's the counter to that? Well, can you find a way if there's parts of this that you enjoy, but the unintended consequences were things you don't want to deal with? Is there a way you can still keep this in your life where it's not a total loss? So I stopped offering Amazon ad services to authors. I still run my own Amazon ads. So that means I still have to educate myself about it. I you know, still do it on a regular basis and get the enjoyment of that. But I don't have to deal with the difficulty of what I found to be working with authors and their perceptions of of realistic returns on running advertising. So there may be a way to keep it. I just think you have to be open to the idea of being wrong or potentially needing to quit. Like you don't go in with that mentality of like, well, this is going to fail, right? But you also have to be willing to experiment and say, you know, Tim Ferriss does this really well. He guinea pigs himself out all the time. Let me try this thing for 30 days and then I'm going to report back to you all what it looked like. Give yourself the permission to say, this isn't really quitting. This is, I explored something. I had a good solid experiment and I learned something here that stopped me from investing more sunk costs into something that wasn't working or I just didn't like. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, people have a hard time with um, the idea of failure and, and maybe it's mm-hmm. the, the thought that failure is a, is a, an end point and a, a you know, a, a finite thing as opposed to yeah. it's a step towards something else. Right. And I think, I think people even have a hard time with the word failure. I, I, I actually use it often enough in, in conversation that I often feel people bristle at that 
at the mention of that term. And I, for me, it's just a matter of, okay, well, you know, you read any, any story about anyone who's been successful and they've failed more than they succeeded. You just hear about yeah. the time they succeeded. And I, you know, that it, it's, it's often frustrating, I guess, to me, even that, um, that people aren't just willing to accept the fact that they've failed, but it doesn't make them a failure. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point. You know, you can do research and learn about people who have been in this position before. When you start to do a deep dive, especially with other entrepreneurs or thought leaders or just innovative people, you will learn that you knew about 1% of their story. And the other 99%, just like you said, is all the times they failed. It's all the other businesses they started that didn't work. It's all the times they got fired from a job. And I think it's that ability to pick yourself back up and move forward that's going to be important for any person. It's not a failure of you. I think it's a failure to not try, right? So if you yeah. tried and you had a good solid experiment and you said going in, this is my hypothesis. I think this is what this is going to look like, but I'm leaving myself some wiggle room if this does not look like what I thought it was going to. That way you're still incorporating your own passions and where the market is going and just the reality of doing whatever that new thing might be. You're going to be wrong sometimes. And like you said, it's not a personal judgment on you. You had data that was leading you in that direction to think it was the right step. I always like to think of it as I was able to stop myself before getting thousands of dollars deep or hundreds yeah. of hours deep into something that wasn't going to work. Well, uh, let's let's change gears a little bit here. Um, you wrote a book called The Six Figure Freelancer and, and worked mm -hmm. to coach freelancers to get more from their careers. What drew you to this area? You know, why do you, why do you think that freelancers are important to the future of work? Well, I think that more and more companies are turning to freelancers as ways to pad some of the gaps in their own businesses. A lot of times it's not appropriate or needed for them to hire a part-time or a full-time employee. And it also greatly expands the talent pool they can tap into. So I see companies working with freelancers both on an ongoing basis on retainer and also for short projects where they'd really have to invest a lot of recruiting and hiring and onboarding time just to train somebody to do something for one to three months. And freelancers give them a lot more flexibility um, and maximize their budget. Uh, there's also, th at the same time that that is happening, that more companies are saying, hey, this is something we can use to tap into the best talent pool potentially save money and have really good results, there's a growing number of people who are saying, I really want freedom and flexibility as the core aspects of how I earn money. And so there's a growing number of freelancers and, and it's like this cycle that feeds back into it. So there's more and more qualified freelancers and there's more and more companies who are wanting to use them. It used to be kind of a dirty word, right? Like as a right, career, right. people like would be like, oh, that's not a way to make money. Well, that's increasingly less true. There are lots of freelancers that have thriving businesses and really view themselves as CEOs, not as just, oh, I do contract work, you know, to pay the bills or while I'm in between jobs. It's really shifted what that looks like for a lot of freelancers today. What do you think makes a good freelancer? I mean, can anyone be successful doing it or does it take a, a special kind of person? I think a special kind of person will thrive doing it. There are lots of people who can do it, but it's just like we were talking about earlier. There are some things that you know, people are just not comfortable with and they don't realize until they're in it. You know, one of the things I see a lot is new freelancers are attracted by the prospect of ultimate flexibility, working when and where you want, getting to decide who you work with. But the reality is if you're not willing to market yourself and at the beginning spend 80% of your time marketing and pitching yourself, 
you won't succeed because that is what is required in this business. Yes, there are some massive upsides to it, but clients do not just fall in your lap. This is not a situation where you build a website and people just, you know, magically hire you because they found you on Google or they found your Facebook business page. You really have to be intentional about who you bring into your business. So I think some of the qualities that make for great freelancers, ability to meet deadlines, ability to work as part of a number of diverse teams, but also handle your own autonomous work schedule. You've really got to be self-motivated and somebody who has really good boundaries and communication skills, because you've got to think like some people say, oh, well, with freelancing, you went from having one boss to 15. That's not really true because your clients are not necessarily your bosses, but you do need to be prepared to work with lots of different team styles and people personalities. And that requires a lot of adaptability and great communication. So in your, um, in your freelance coaching, have you ever, uh, have you ever coached someone to stop being a freelancer or yes. to maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me, do you have a, do you have an example uh, of, of that? I, yeah, I have a few. So, yeah. um, two people come to mind, both of them were aspiring freelance writers and had signed up for three months of intensive coaching with me where we, we kicked off and the goal was for them to scale their freelance writing business. And after about three weeks with one of these clients, she had not sent one pitch. And I mean, mm -hmm. I had tweaked her pitch. We'd talked about it. We set weekly goals. We were doing accountability check-ins. And after a couple of weeks of that, I was just like, I, I asked her straight out, do you really want to be a freelance writer? I said, right. I said, this is not with any judgment. Just like, if this isn't what you want and you don't want to do this key aspect of it, let's figure out what you want to do instead. Cause there's something off here that you've like boxed, boxed yourself into saying, well, I have to be a freelance writer. And so therefore I have to do the things that are required of me. And that doesn't necessarily work that way. And so I actually coached her how to quit her freelance writing business and wind it up. And she's now pivoted into being a mindset business coach, which is related. We, we talked about a lot of, you know, things that would help her get to that point, but it looks completely different. And then I coached another person who temporarily went over into the full-time work world and then stepped back with a different freelance service. So it was a mismatch of service. So I think it can go both ways. You can be trying to do the wrong thing as a freelancer. You can also just be trying to freelance and it's not a good fit for you. The, the cool thing is now we have so many options. You're not limited to that one thing. And there's lots of things you can do online if freelancing specifically isn't a fit for you. But I, yeah, that's always surprised me when I'm like, well, we're in month one of a three month <laughs> contract where someone hired me to scale their freelance business. And now we are completely pivoting and we are revising resumes for applicant tracking systems with a full-time job search. And it just, it looks different, but it's based on, you know, how that person really responded to the reality. Of, of what it looks like to freelance. Yeah. And I, th I mean, I think that that speaks to just this, this agile mindset of uh, it's not, and everything isn't for everyone. And, and so, yeah. you know, you kind of have to, maybe for some people it's, you know, dipping their toes in and trying to, you know, it's, it's not enough to visualize. I mean, cause I think most yeah. people, if you say, do you want more freedom and flexibility? And oh, by the way, you can earn a lot of money as well. Like who's going to say no yeah. to that? <laughs> right. Um, but actually living that and, and to the, you know, to the example that you gave doing the, just this concept, I know, you know, I know so many talented people that I think, man, you would, they would um, clean up if they, you know, if they went independent, but when it comes, there's a block when it comes to kind of selling themselves and, yeah. you know, being that constant, I mean, 
I've been in and out of, you know, I've played every, every, which, you know, from, from intern to freelancer to CEO, like I've played every kind of role and, and there's some things that I'm better suited for, but, um, it's always, it's always been, I, I'm not opposed to selling my personal brand or whatever. A lot of people, either they have a hard time with that at first, and, and I'm sure you run into this as well, or they need to be taught to kind of grow into it and actually be comfortable that it's not bragging or it's not, you know, it's not any of those negatives or it, it should, you know, it may feel weird at first, but it's actually just, you know, it, it's part of the sales process and it's part of the, the business of freelancing and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Do you, do you run into that, uh, you know, that, that kind of block of people, people not wanting to talk about themselves as much and just kind of getting into the work? Yes. And I think that's such a key disconnect. You know, I coached someone, it was actually an in-person coaching session and he was, he was a writer and he was just like, well, I don't want to pitch myself. I don't want to talk about my writing. And then it was like, okay, well you can use these writing skills to do something different, like writing books or, you know, writing magazine articles and interviewing other people, but you're still going to always have to pitch yourself in one way or another. And so you've got to really think, does that match up with your personality? But yeah, I think a lot of people, especially beginners, right? Because they don't have any experience. They don't have any credibility that they're pulling in from something else a lot of times and they feel really uncertain and they're like, who am I to say that I can do this thing when I haven't done it yet? I haven't been paid for it yet. I'm not entirely sure what it looks like. And it's almost a fake it till you make it. You know, you gotta you've got to teach yourself the thing. You've got to figure out what are the bare minimum things I need to get started. And just be open, you know, with your clients about that too. You don't go in saying I'm a 15 year expert. You say, you know, I'm new to freelancing, but but these are the skills I'm bringing in from other places. And this is why I'm so passionate about offering this particular service. I, I think that can help bridge the gap. One last thing before we, we wrap up here. Um, so you're, you're involved in a bunch of different things. I'm, I'm sure I'll miss one or two here, but you know, you, you coach, you're an author, you're a speaker, podcast host, you do marketing. What is it about um, this type of um, this type of professional life that, that you like and, you know, and who would you recommend it to? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So I am the type of person that used to get very bored when my job was the same thing day to day, right out of graduate school. I worked at an insurance agency and I did like the same four things every single day. And it just crushed my soul. There was nothing to look forward to. It was like every day I'm starting fresh scanning insurance applications. It's like, (laughs) it just felt like it never changed. So I think if you're the type of person who needs variety, who needs challenges, who loves learning new things, this is the type of lifestyle that will appeal to you. And if that isn't for you, I think it's okay to say that. One of the downsides of being an entrepreneur is that your brain really never turns off from this subject. So in some ways, having a job where you can really check out at five o'clock and close your computer and not think about it until you're back at work the next day, for some people that works really well for them. And there's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to be an entrepreneur or freelancer, but there are certain skill sets, you know, like that wanting of the variety, being a continuous learner, being willing to pivot, right? Like you can't just create a business and set it and forget it. You really have to keep revisiting it and refining it. And uh, that works for some people. Laura, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, For those listening, what's the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn by searching for Laura Briggs, but my website and podcasts are at www.betterbizacademy.com. 
Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Laura Briggs for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.